This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and rounding up the perfect team trio of episodes is my perfect team co-host, Jan. Thank you very much. I would possibly have said the same if I did the intro for this episode, but we will never know. <laughs> you would possibly, <laughs> but you would also possibly not. It's oh, kind of the definition of possible, right? I mean, and as we learned last time when we talked about this whole thing, the, the main important part is to make sure that everybody has the same amount of time to talk about things. So I'm just going to keep on talking and you just keep on nodding there and that makes us a perfect team, right? <laughs> okay, I deserve that one. <laughs> <laughs> For people not joining us on YouTube, you missed this. Indeed, indeed, and and what a th what a thing of beauty it was. Uh, reminds me of Beaker from the Muppets. Anyway, um, so yeah, this is the final, probably final episode on our uh, set of episodes on the perfect team. Uh, we had part one, which was sort of started introducing the some of the concepts, and the the premise was the difference between a a voluntarily created group and a carefully in engineered or selected group of people and one of those groups crashed and burned and the other flourished and it was not in the order you that might have you might have thought part two went on to talk about the different patterns um or lack thereof of what made certain teams uh successful over others and the sort of really everything pivoted towards the psychological and sociological sort of concept of group norms which are the traditions and unwritten behavioral rules that we tend to adhere to uh, when we're in groups specifically two uh, that seem to make the most difference uh, one is my very very favorite equality and distribution of conversational turn-taking uh, which uh, Yon was uh, badly demonstrating towards the start of the podcast here and the second was a high average social sensitivity. So with the scene set, uh, let's let's take this take this topic and this episode home. Yeah. So uh, we didn't talk about is that uh, we got inspiration for this series from a article we found. Let's see the right button here on the New York Times magazine, which was a. Mm -hmm article about a study that Google did, uh, Project Aristotle there, and basically they went through all of this stuff. And at this point in the story, we come to the conclusions that this uh, Aristotle team uh, put together as what they well, not really have as a recipe for the perfect team, but things to keep in mind when you're thinking about this whole stuff. And we had the idea, Dave and I, for this episode to just basically go through these points and kind of give our own personal uh, spin or experience or however you want to call that on those uh, on those bullet points. So the first one, oh, sorry, you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, I suppose before we before we maybe dive into the the individual bullets, maybe the the whole thing around. I think some of these will end up sort of coming up in the individual bullets that I mentioned in the article but just just quickly when when you hear the words you know psychological safe environment and you're thinking about teams and work and stuff like that what are some of the 
behaviors that you automatically think of as supporting that or what are the conditions that you think of kind of that support that uh, well that's a tough one actually because uh, as i've mentioned uh, already earlier on this podcast uh, i'm pretty much an introvert which means i'm socially awkward in most of any circumstance so for me the main thing that makes it psychologically safe is if i'm not there or nobody else is there your master slide everybody team of one um so to 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 use a a pretty common example i think most people can relate to then um one of the first things that i think of is uh no it's all good it's all good one of the first things that i think of is the ability to ask questions um you know the you you hear a whole bunch of um, sort of comments around. Oh, there's no such thing as a, as a stupid question. And if you've got the question, I'm sure lots of other people have the same question or will have the same question in the future, and other sort of uh, kind of a little bit tired maybe tropes like that. But there is actually a lot of uh, truth behind that. Like giving people the uh, the safety to feel that they can ask anything, even if it might be something relatively simple or basic and for the response not to be oh don't you know that already or why don't you why don't you know that oh oh you that was you know you should have gone through that in your training or you know you should already know that information like that those are all sort of responses that significantly damage or harm in my opinion the the kind of psychological safety of being able to ask open questions in a in a safe environment yeah but it goes further than just the environment itself of the, of the meeting or the interaction itself i mean last episode already mentioned the fact that this is not just looking at the meeting uh, of the group itself but anything around that all the social interactions via slack uh, zoom uh, email whatever it should be a, a more encompassing thing so and that makes it harder as well because most people are by nature because we're living in a pretty much you are not allowed to fail society because if you fail you lose your job you lose your money you lose your wife you lose your house we are psychologically arming ourselves all the time against that so even though the recrimination mentality isn't present there's still the hurdle for people to go there and make themselves vulnerable by asking a potentially dumb question and of course, dumb is very relative. If I'm surrounded by Nobel laureates, whatever I'm going to ask is going to be dumb. If I'm in a <laughs> kindergarten, I might have a good question here or there. But so yeah. the thing that I'm trying to yeah. get at here is that from the one point, yes, as an organization, you can perhaps make sure that there's rules of conduct and things like that. I mean, I worked for a certain, uh, I worked for an employer once that actually had in front of every meeting room, even internal meetings, a little panel with text that said that if you felt uh, discriminated, harassed, whatever, during this meeting, please contact HR, blah, blah. I mean, that's all very nice and dandy. It doesn't help me with my internal barriers. Yeah, I I think it's, you're right. Like, it's definitely not just about a specific meeting or a specific interaction. It's more of a, it's a culture that needs to be present in an organization, the ability to feel safe asking questions regardless of what those what those questions are something else that maybe i've seen come up quite a lot is 
the 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 feeling that you get support from other members of the team and that the other members of the team are there to help you like they're not you're not just a bunch of individuals all all after your own thing like i think that creates a more psychologically safe uh environment i agree but there's a chicken in the acting there you only get that kind of a group after you've been able to get that kind of a group <laughs> yeah i mean it comes in many cases it comes down to hiring very carefully um, you look for, despite sort of um, some of the, the comments towards the start of the article, for example, when I'm hiring, I look for people that are very much team players and are interested in the the greater good, the success of the whole, rather than um, people that are very focused on themselves and what they do. Now, that's not to say that these people aren't also interested in personal success but that there's a good level of balance between those two driving forces. True, but I think, I mean, we've, we've had this long running series about corporate culture now, and a lot of the corporate culture things are very global, very uh, all-encompassing, high-level uh, decision-making things. But when it comes to the safety of the group, I think the direct manager of the um, individual is the most, or the biggest guiding light or darkness in this point. Because yep. if I go to a meeting and I can't be certain, I can't be confident that if I make a mistake, it won't go back to my boss and he will fire me, or even worse, ridicule me. And that is actually worse. Because <laughs> if I make a big mistake, maybe I should get fired. That's maybe a good decision, but ridiculing somebody is never a good decision. But the direct manager and the team of the team project lead, those will have a big impact. And even if you've hired a lot of team players, a lot of uh, socially apt and connected people, whatever you want to call them, a bad leader, I'm going to call it that, yeah. will destroy that always. So, Very much so on the one hand, the corporate culture hopefully will make sure that your management layer has the right kind of management. But it's a hard thing to predict and a hard thing to maintain, uh, monitor, and correct if necessary. Yeah, I mean, that that's why uh, it often comes if that people leave managers. They don't leave necessarily companies or they and they leave they leave cultures. They don't leave the the, the teams that they're in, usually, at least. You see this happen a lot when new managers get kind of introduced into organizations, it's a very risky thing to do because you don't know for sure. Like you've interviewed this person, you've screened them, you've done a bunch of mm -hmm. conversations and tests and all sorts of other things probably, but you don't know for sure exactly how that person is going to integrate with the the, the new team that they're going to pick up. And so it, it is a very, very much a, a thing that can make or break individual teams, divisions, departments. I've certainly seen it go very well. I've also seen it go incredibly badly when the wrong kind of personality leads the wrong kind of team and there's just friction and and uh, screaming and uh, it all goes, yeah, very, very badly. So what would you say if you're looking at a manager, what would be the quality? I, mean, I have something in mind, but I want to ask a question to you first. Mm -hmm. but the quality that the manager would have in order to succeed at this, to have a good team dynamic to make sure people actually feel trusted and trustworthy and everything like that. 
what's the what's the single thing you would say that's what's necessary there I don't think I could put my honestly put my hand on my heart and say there's one single thing I can tell you one of the things that I think is definitely up there in level of importance I think that's for me is transparency being as transparent and as as you can with your team to your manager all those sorts of things uh, is in my opinion one of the most important values for a manager yeah, I was going to say authenticity because the transparency yeah. thing can still be seen you have to tell us everything no you have to be transparent about stuff you can and can't say and exactly. authenticity for me is more that uh, if you said or behaved a certain way today you will behave a certain the same kind of way tomorrow it's not yeah, a mask you put up consistency because a lot of uh, i've had managers I'm say a lot or less i've had managers keep like that that are a totally different person when you're doing one-on-one -on -one or in a group setting mm. and obviously there's going to be some difference there i mean the dynamic is different obviously but they should still have the same values the same Yep. Um, desires, fears, whatever, that should still come together. And that's what I think is necessary because if I, I like to be able to, I'm going to say predict, it's impossible, but kind of know if I say this, this is the kind of reaction I'm going to get. Yeah. And that's what I feel makes it less of a risk to do something because uh, as one, the second point, uh, I forget what the exact phrasing was, but the high average social sensitivity, that's where I mm. see that one coming in. Because what that actually means is that you have enough empathy, enough understanding of the other side of the conversation that you don't involuntarily hurt, harass, uh, say something hurtful. That's what I'm trying to say. That you yeah. kind of see, I mean, we've been doing this podcast for a while and I know we have a different face before and after recording. <laughs> But I also know what I can and can't say to you, and that's part of it. Also, because I mean, if we if we weren't authentic towards each other, I don't think we would have been doing this for two hundred fifty plus episodes. Indeed, I think that's absolutely right. And when it comes to nearly two hundred and sixty episodes, by the way, but when it when it comes to that sort of, I, I think that the the consistency authenticity transparency like all of these things are very closely related mm -hmm. and it it would be relatively difficult to not have like one of those things uh, i suppose it's technically possible you could be consistently not <laughs> consistently opaque and predictably opaque that would be uh that would be a terrible manager experience, though, in my opinion. But anyway, it's it's that I think all those three things are very, very important for for that kind of experience, for that a positive experience. So, with that, that's our little diversion into our own our own minds. Uh, we'll we'll take a sharp left out of that, though, and let's see what um, what are the things that that Project Aristotle concluded at the. Uh, at the the tail end of this go ahead yeah all right so the first one is that uh, no one wants to put on a work face um, people don't want to leave a part of their personality and their inner life at home people just want to behave as they are and be seen as they are and 
wants to make sure that that is something that is okay. I kind of disagree with that. Hmm. At home, I walk around in my pajamas. I walk around in my underwear. I scratch my butt. <laughs> Not things that are socially. Okay, I'm exaggerating just to make a point here. There is a certain behavior that you will have amongst your family and direct friends partner, whatever, which is not appropriate on the workspace. So depending on how you look at this work phase, there's a gradation there. I mean, I have colleagues, I have had colleagues, let's call it that one, that actually behave like they're just at home with the family and kind of do whatever they want to do, basically, because, hey, I'm at home, nobody cares. And that's not good because that actually, mm. in my opinion, creates a more or less hostile situation because it puts pressure on the rest of the people to also be so jovial and whatever. And some people, again, here's the introvert uh, talking, are uncomfortable with that. So I do think that everybody in a professional environment should have some reserve. Is that the correct word for it? I, I, no, I think you actually touched on the right word earlier, professionalism. Like we're, we're definitely, we're here to work. Like that's why people are, People do jobs to work. They they do that to earn money, to buy toys or whatever it might be. And um, it's you know there's there's a there's a degree of professionalism required and expected in the majority of places. But I think there's a difference between professionalism and being expected to. Um, like stamp out a part of your personality perhaps or a part of what makes you you um that's a good one you should be able to put you don't want to put on a work personality mm. that yeah. that makes it good because this your personality can manifest itself in different ways depending on the situation but you yeah. are still you and you shouldn't suddenly become I don't know, uh, totally, if you look at politics, if you're left-wing or right-wing, it's not because you're left-wing at home that you should become right-wing in the, in the office because that will ine inevitably become a problem. You can't keep that up all the time. It's very exhausting. You become unhappy and, hey, there goes the team. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so the second one here is, is to be fully present at work, to feel psychologically safe. We must know that we can... Be free to share things that scare us without fear of recriminations. I think this is sort of some of the stuff that we touched on earlier. So the ability to, you know, ask questions um, and not be, to your point earlier, ridiculed for them. Um, to be able to, you know, share concerns or fears that you may have. And this is not typically talking about, although it could be, you know, things like fear of spiders or large wide open spaces or things like that. It's typically, you know, concerns about, uh, maybe it's concerns about a project, maybe it's concerns about your ability to deliver on that project to a certain level of quality or against the timeline or whatever it might be. But it's the ability to share those fears with the team and to have the team respond in a supportive way of, you know, maybe coming up with ideas about how we can mitigate those fears or those concerns. And maybe that maybe there's something that other people in the team can contribute 
to uh, to reduce those fears. Yeah, I'm going to nitpick a little bit here, but for me, the without fear of recriminations is very important because it mm. doesn't mean that there will not be consequences. There mm. will always be consequences, but you shouldn't be afraid of the consequences, which is a hard yeah. thing to imagine, basically. The thing is, if, if there's no consequences, if there's no recrimination ever, then you can do whatever you want and get away with it because nobody is able to tell you that's a bad thing. That's also not good, of course. So there should always be, uh, well, still a fear of, of, of consequences. I mean, if you do something annoying, you will get consequences. That fear should be there. That's what keeps us civilized, I guess. The thing is, the word fear there is a wrong word. It shouldn't be that you're scared of it. It should be more of a, okay, I know if I do this, then that will probably happen. And I don't want that to happen, so I'm not going to do this. Because I want to kind of avoid here that we go into, sorry, that we go into an environment where everything can go and nobody can say anything wrong. And that also is not good. It also doesn't work towards a good uh, team uh, environment. Team members should also have, again, that word reserve, enough self-awareness uh, to know what is available, what is professional and not. Yeah, but this is this is talking. I, I think I I don't disagree with what you said, but I think this is talking about the ability to share things that scare us as individuals. So it's not talking about it's not talking about uh, just I saw it fear in of recriminations. Yeah, but this is not this is not talking about um, fear without fear of recriminations of being able to do anything. This is talking about specifically without fear of recriminations for just sharing things that concern you. So yeah, if I'm there. concerned about, yeah, but if I'm concerned that a, a project is going to run late because we're not delivering something fast enough, or if I'm concerned about um, my performance or even someone else's performance, then I should be able to share that without fear of recriminations. I'm not saying, saying that I should be able to you know, call someone a moron because they're running late on a project without fear of recriminations, because mm -hmm. that's clearly exactly. not that's the right way to approach that topic. That's what I meant. I mean, you should be able to say stuff, but how you say it and how you, what kind of argumentation you use. I mean, if you're not a people manager, you shouldn't pretend to be one. Yep. Then you can you yeah, can talk fine. about how a certain person relates to you in your daily work, but you can't talk about how he's a bad com uh, an entity in the an entire company. We're all gonna, gonna go bankrupt because this person works here. You don't have that authority at that point. You don't have that knowledge. Fair enough. All right. Um, do you want to take the next point? Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, that's a, a hard one as well must be able to talk about what is messy or sad. For me, then I get the uh, the horror picture of um, person got divorced and goes to the office and starts crying on everybody's shoulder. Should be possible with the people you know better than just colleagues. Yeah. I think you've got multiple levels of this. You've got the the people dealing with particular like personal concerns but i think you've also got people who are maybe sort of just overwhelmed by something which could also be something 
equally work-related. Like, oh my God, I've got no idea how how I'm going to achieve this. This is just, uh, a, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. I mean, as long as in the professional points, if it's about a project, about something's working, um, I just got a certification, people doing exams, stressful situation. I just failed a certification. <laughs> I would never <laughs> admit example. that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you um, know, so, something that's not going right for some, uh, somebody. Someone I, I just betrayed uh, myself because I just said I would never admit that. Mm. Which means that I apparently feel that that's not something I can safely do. Yeah, well, there you go. Now, in my case, I wouldn't admit that because I don't allow myself to fail. But uh, <laughs> that's another psychological thing we're not going to talk about on the podcast. <laughs> it's another psychological thing, and it's there's. We should probably talk about failure a different on a different uh, a different episode because I think failure is a particularly interesting topic to talk about in the tech industry. Anyway, another conversation for another time. Uh, so the next one, uh, which related. sounds like every single podcast that we do is <laughs> have conversation with colleagues who are driving us crazy. <laughs> yeah, it took us uh, almost 260 episodes to get to the point that we are now that we can actually do this without killing each other at the end of the episode. But, uh, practice makes perfect, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it, this is, this is really important to, there are always people that will grind your gears or wind you up or trigger something uh, in you in the way that they talk, the way that they approach you, the way they ask questions. You know, there could be any number of things that may drive someone crazy about somebody else. And this is about having that discussion in a, and again, like I'm going to use the same word that we seem to be using a couple of times, in a professional and constructive um, manner, an open manner. Like you're saying, you're not uh, going to this person say, for the love of God, will you stop doing X, whatever X might be. You're going to say, hey, I am just wanted to have a quick chat about uh, something that you do that for some reason that I can't necessarily explain really um, sort of winds me up or triggers me in some way. Um, could you perhaps not do X um, when when we're working together or chatting or whatever it might be? And there's there are people who have I've seen before who have had difficulty working with other people, and rather than address that with that person directly, they've gone you know up through management chains and across management chains and down other management chains. It's like. Oh, can you please not just talk to that person and just explain, please don't do this thing because it drives me crazy. Um, it, life would be much better for everybody concerned. Oh, I still think that the management layer has a, a role to play there. I mean, we're not going to do everything for you. You can also do something for your money. But for it me, it's can kind of, have a place. It it's can the, have a place. It said have hard conversations with colleagues and it all depends on the hardness of that conversation for me. If it's a irritant, something annoying, you pick your teeth after lunch, I hate that, please do it somewhere else. Sure, you should be able to talk at certain points. But for me, a hard conversation would more be, okay, I'm carrying this project, you're not doing anything, you're taking all the credit. I can talk to you about that, but sometimes it's just the way that person is and talking about it isn't gonna help. And at that point, 
Um, yeah, calling in the help of your management should be a reasonable way of uh, fixing this potentially. Yeah, um, or at least at least putting some light on it to drive it towards some form of resolution. Yeah, I, I would absolutely yeah. not say that this is about um, abdicating responsibility for management, but this is making sure that wherever possible, individuals talk to each other where there is friction and try to resolve that friction directly between them one-on-one -on -one. and yeah if if that that friction is um unable to be resolved then of course you know needs to get resolved some way and if that's management then so be it yeah but even when management gets involved it shouldn't mean that the uh, people don't talk anymore actually a long time ago in one of my first jobs i actually went was in a situation where there was a conflict between me and a project leader who was just changing the plan every week and then being pissed that we couldn't deliver on time weird so that got escalated and i do kind of respect the way the company uh, took that up because they kind of put higher management that they took a person of higher management who became a moderator for the discussion between me and that person so the good thing there is that I and the other person, sorry, the other person and I, I should say, weren't able to just say, okay, I've passed it on to management, not my problem anymore. No, you still had to be an active part of trying to get to a solution. And that's what I mean when I say involved management. It's not just bump yeah. it up and now it's somebody else's problem. Because yeah. that doesn't work. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so moving on. Uh, to the kind of second from last point now, really, the penultimate point can't just be focused on efficiency. Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, in this day and age, the end I suppose the, 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 what to make bucks, big bucks. Well, yes, <laughs> but we spend a fairly significant portion of our lives working. And at the office, let's call it that. When you're working or not, I'll leave it in the middle. <laughs> oh dear. Um, let's pretend that you're working at least. And I'll pretend. If that's good for you, I'll pretend. Okay. No problem. Yeah, you, that's it. You pretend. So <laughs> my boss better not be that, listening to this. <laughs> given Sorry. given that um you know, we do spend a significant portion of our time working. You know, the, there is a, a phrase that I don't really necessarily agree with, which is uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And like, that's... Uh, It'll never feel work. Yeah, maybe. I'm not actually convinced that that's a... That's a real thing for at least not for many people. I'm sure there are people that that absolutely do feel that way. But I would say that there is definitely a a middle ground in which you can enjoy what you're doing. If you feel whether it's purpose or you you get some sort of um, I don't know positive reinforcement from what you do, or you just enjoy talking to the people that you work with on a daily basis or there's a whole number of different sort of positive things that you can get out of working with uh, multiple different people and for me 
that's what I think of when I think of it just not not purely being focused on efficiency. I think it's the this element of there are lots of other things that play into um, you know why you work somewhere that you do. You've talked about it a number of times, and it's definitely not just about it's it's the most efficient thing to do. Guess what? I'm gonna disagree. I'm sensing a trend here in this episode. And I'm actually, I'm not disagreeing, but it's just efficiency can be seen on the, as a broader thing. It's a long-term versus short-term kind of thing. Because in the end, why should you not focus on the, I adjust, short-term efficiency? Because if you do that, you forget about long-term, people won't be happy, people leave, you'll need to hire new people, train them again, you get delays, it gets annoying. So the reason that companies, cultures, teams should make sure that there is more than just efficiency there is to make the team better and why do you want to do that as a company for better efficiency so basically yes because if it didn't add any value to the company in the long run they shouldn't do it because again the companies are in business to be in business there's not there they're not they're not charities or things like that they're there to make money to do whatever they want to do What's happening now, and which is different from uh, before, I guess, is that uh, bigger enterprises understand the fact that if you just focus on the short-term efficiency, you'll alienate people, you never get a tight cohesion in the, in the teams, and you have a less efficient whole. But still, it should always be a, there should be a reason why we do whatever we're doing, and the reason for business usually is productivity, efficiency, it's all the same thing in the end, right? So I agree, but yeah. I disagree. Yeah, it's it's the it's the it's the macro level versus the micro. The opposite. It's long yeah, term versus short term. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think basically this whole series about corporate culture and uh, and uh, the perfect teams is actually a discussion about looking at the long term, not the short term. Because why do you want to be open yeah. and transparent for the long term? I mean, in the short term, it's a bad thing because it might have a very bad result on the on the stock market today. But by being open and admitting your faults, next time it happens, the investors will be more lenient because, hey, last time it was annoying, but at least they were honest and they cover. So it's again, it's a long versus a short term thing, actually. Indeed. So we're running a little long, so we should probably wrap this up. But the final point here is that, uh, well, we want to know that work is just more than labor. And I think we've we've touched on that a little bit on the the preamble to the previous point. But is there anything else that you'd add to that? It's not always possible. I mean, sometimes you're in a job that is basically just a job. I mean, I'm trying to find an example, and I'm actually having a hard time because in the end, I mean, if you're just spending your, your day all day typing up papers, filling in forms, doing things, sometimes. It is just labor. I don't know. Is it always possible, do you think, to have a real meaning to the job? A, a meaning, a social value, a, a community value? More than a I mean, I think, yeah, I do think that it is possible. Like, you can still, you can still have colleagues at work that you enjoy talking to while you're doing all of that monotonous kind of labor. 
you can have people that you enjoy talking to about things that aren't the monotonous oh. labor and so like there are other things that are part of oh i didn't uh, read the working. book yeah yeah i read it as it's all down to interpretation there okay cool all right well i think we we've kind of covered all of this um at this point the the summary is really that this all came from the tech industry very much so um but this is you know this same kind of team research is happening all over the place so and this same kind of team dynamics happening everywhere and it's happening more and more so this you know whether you're in the tech industry or not you know almost all of these concepts i would think would be still very relevant yeah and for better or for worse at the moment the tech industry does have kind of a poster child position where other environments other organizations other verticals horizontals whatever you call them are looking towards the tech industry for guidance at this point so it's good that this stuff happens also of course the tech industry is uh, well running like crazy though this, they have money to spend and money to spend on things like this so i guess that's a good thing too but um yeah it's really, really good. Cool. Okay. With that being said, unless you have anything else to add. Nothing else for me. Then that's all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a patron. Every contribution helps. If you're on YouTube, you can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell and all YouTube stuff. You can go to www.roaringelephant.org. There's links there to the Patreon page and more information about the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag. And you can send email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is Perfect Team Member Jon. My name is Perfect Team Member 2, Dave. <laughs> and we look forward to talking to you again next week. See you then. Because everything is awesome. Be part of it.